Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Rudy? Uh, Rudy, a great movie. Listen, if you've not seen it, I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. And if you're like, don't spoil it for me. Listen, you've had 30 years to watch this movie. I'm not going to feel bad about telling you about that movie today. The movie Rudy, I love it. I love movies like this. Uh, Rudy tells a story uh, of Daniel Rudiger, a guy who is not much bigger than me. A guy whose desire in life, his goal in life was to play college football at the University of Notre Dame. The problem was he wasn't a great student. And so he applied for Notre Dame and got rejected. And he had ended, up, ended up going to junior college. And while he's in junior college, uh, they realized he's got dyslexia, which was one of the reasons why he had a hard time with uh, school. So finally, after his fourth try, he finally gets accepted into uh, University of Notre Dame. And he tries out for the football team. And again, this guy's just outmatched, outsized, because he's not much bigger than me. And uh, so he doesn't make the team, but the coaches see his hard work and his dedication and his work ethic. And they're like, all right, we're going to let you not be on the team, but we're going to let you be on the practice squad, which is kind of like uh, the JV team, maybe. Kind of like uh, this is the team that the real team practices against to get ready for the big game. And so uh, Rudy has a chance to serve on this uh, scout team for his entire college career. And never once does he get the chance to actually suit up and actually play in a real game until the last game of his senior year. Last game of his senior year, the coach is like, hey, Rudy, I want you to suit up. He suits up and watches the entire game through the sideline until the last three plays. Coach is like, hey, Rudy, go get in there. Go play linebacker. And on his third play, he has the opportunity to sack the quarterback, which is a pretty exciting story. I love stories like this. I love movies like this. I find them to be absolutely inspirational and challenging that there can be, like, despite the odds, when we are faithful, like there's these great blessings and opportunities that become available for us. It's that story that great things are possible when we stay dedicated and when we work hard. Now, I would say that most of us in this room, most of us watching online, we would say that we value, we love, we respect faithfulness. Faithfulness is one of those things that we admire. But can we acknowledge how rare faithfulness is in our culture? We have this culture that is fueled by a, uh, fueled by a selfish nature where we constantly ask ourselves, what's in it for me? And so we may make a commitment to somebody. We may make a commitment to a job, to a person. We may say, till death do us part. We may sign our, not, our name on the dotted line for a church. But then what happens when things begin to change? Again, you've made that commitment. But what happens in the relationship when the other person changes? What happens in the relationship when the other person hurts you, lets you down? What happens when we feel like we deserve a promotion and we get passed over or we don't get the recognition that we feel we deserve? What happens when somebody lets you down? What happens when a church lets you down? We are quick to say, I need to go find another. What happens when you've made a commitment to be faithful to somebody else, but they are not faithful to you in return? See, this is where we say faithfulness is hard. It is hard hard. And listen, there are legit reasons for us to, to break promises that we make. There's legit reasons. But I think in our culture, the bigger problem is we quit way too easy. We quit way too soon. 
We quit too soon on people. We quit too soon on churches. We quit too soon on our faith. Because growth and blessing from God, success is seldom found by taking the easy road. It is often found when we remain faithful to places and people that God has placed us in and we give God space to work in those places. In fact, Robert Schuller from the Crystal Cathedral, he said, most people who succeed despite impossible circumstances are people who simply do not know how to quit. I'll tell you my own story about learning the power of faithfulness. I've had the privilege of being in full-time ministry for uh, 15, almost 16 years now. Uh, prior to planting Restoration Church, I had the privilege of leading, leading Madison House, which is a few blocks this way, downtown uh, Inner City Youth Center. And, uh, you know, in those years of ministry, I, I've made a lot of mistakes on the way. And some of you are like, amen to that. We've seen those, right? And what I found about myself is, is I'm a bit of a visionary. And so I love coming up with new ideas and exciting things, but I also have realized that I have a little bit of self-diagnosed ADD. And so I'm really good at coming up with new ideas and getting excited about them. I don't always finish things well. I have a habit, you should see my garage, where there's a lot of things that have started and not quite been finished. Because that's kind of just the way that I am. And as I've grown in my leadership, I've become self-aware of my ADD, of having all those sorts of ideas and not always finishing those ideas to completion. And I feel a, a bit of a weight over that. I feel a bit of a burden recognizing how that creates issues for people around me. And so as I was getting ready to, to finish my time at Madison House, they had a celebration for me. And you have all these kids coming up and they're showing all the stories of all the dumb things I did uh, while I was leading Madison House. And it was a real... Uh, it was fun. It was fun. I loved it, hearing all those stories of how I've made some mistakes along the way. And then there was one kid who came up, and he said, Kevin, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for showing up. He said, Kevin, you did a lot of dumb stuff, a lot of dumb stuff. You've been through some hard times, but you kept showing up every single day. He said, I couldn't depend on my family. I can't depend on my home life, but I can know that when I come to Madison House, I can depend on you being there every day, no matter what happened. See, our faithfulness, it matters. Our faithfulness has an impact on the people around us. This morning, we're, we're looking in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're continuing this, fruit, this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And that the conversation that we've had the last couple of weeks has been as we abide in God, as we walk in the Holy Spirit, that God begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And these things are less about our morality and our theology and more about our character. That as we're walking with Jesus, we begin to look like Him. We display the character traits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And you know, as I've been uh, thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but the fruit of the Spirit, they're a little easier for me to display when things are going good in life, right? It's easier for me to look godly when, when everything is good, all the relationships are good, there's money in the bank, and, and things are good. But it's when the rubber hits the road. It's times when I'm stressed, times when there's problems around me, times when there's hardship and tension. That's when I find it's a little bit harder to display these fruits. 
And so as we've been in this series, man, I have to be honest, I just keep getting confronted with how, man, I sure think I, I live a godly life, but then I get stressed and a problem arises and I realize how much I need help to display these fruit in my life. And I told you this prayer in the very beginning of the series by John Stott, and I continue to pray this prayer every day. I pray and say, Lord, Lord, today would you fill me with your spirit and cause the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, would you cause these fruit to be displayed in my life? This morning we get a look at faithfulness. Faithfulness. The word in faithfulness in Galatians chapter 5 is, is the Greek word pistis, which can be translated as faith or belief or to be trusted. And so our definition this morning for kindness, our definition is faithfulness, is to be dependable, is being a person that others can put their trust in. And so to help us understand what faithfulness looks like, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I would say 2 Samuel chapter 9 is when we see King David at his best. Now, when we think about David, oftentimes we think about David's best being David and Goliath, right? We love that story. And it is a great story. You need to hear that story of David and Goliath because no matter what obstacle you're facing today, you need to know that God is greater than that. No matter how big the giant you're facing is, you need to know that God is bigger than that. And so I love the story of, of, of David and Goliath because it's a reminder that God is bigger than that. But I'd say that this story, 2 Samuel chapter 9, is better than that story. Especially as we're talking about this series on the fruit of the Spirit. Because 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's not just about what David does. It shows us his character. It shows us that as David is, is walking with God, that God is redeeming his character and producing the fruit of the Spirit in his life, just like we want God to do in our life. So the context for 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, David now is, is king over Israel, and there's finally a little bit of peace. Like, I don't know if you know the story about King David. Uh, the story is that uh, there was a guy by the name of Saul, and he was the first king over Israel. And he was king until he disobeyed God. He disobeyed God, and God said, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, Saul, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. I'm going to give it to, to David. And so this is, this is what's happening. And then Saul realizes, hey, I think I've disobeyed God. I think God's going to take me out and take the kingdom from me. And so Saul goes a little bit crazy and begins to pursue David. It's going to kill David. He's taken all of his resources. I'm going to find this, this young, I'm, this teenage boy. I'm going to kill him. And David's on the run from King Saul for, for years. Well, eventually, King Saul is injured in one of the battles that they were facing against another, uh, another country. And King Saul dies. And David is, is appointed the new king over Israel. And David's first year of his reign, the first couple years of his reign, he's got all these enemies. He's got one of Saul's sons, the last remaining son from Saul, who's pursuing and trying to kill David and some other enemies. And so David's first years of king are all about trying to deal with the enemies. And finally, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, there's a little bit of peace. There's a little bit of calm. His kingdom is finally established. And what's the first thing that David's going to do now that there's a little bit of peace? Look at this. Verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 9. David says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
Now, you may not know this, but Jonathan is actually King Saul's oldest son. Jonathan was supposed to be the heir to the throne. He was supposed to be the next king. Now, the story goes like this. The story goes that before Saul went crazy and was trying to kill David, David was actually a musician in Saul's house. And so while David was in Saul's house, him and Jonathan, they, 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 they grew this very close friendship. They were as close as brothers. There was this mutual love and, and respect for one another. And so they were, they were super close. And Jonathan ended up dying in the same battle that Saul died in. And so here's David. He finally has a little bit of peace. And what does he do? He thinks back to his friend Jonathan. Man, how, who can I show kindness for the sake of Jonathan? Verse 2 says that there was a servant by the name of Ziba. Ziba was the head of the household for Saul. So he basically, he's the guy who's running Saul's estate. And so David says, Ziba, is there anyone left in the family? And Ziba says, well, there is a son of Jonathan, a young man who is crippled in his feet. This child is the child Mephibosheth. That's a fun word. If you're having a baby, we've had a lot of babies here at Restoration Church. I love it. You ladies should name your child Mephibosheth. Can you imagine that? Mephibosheth! The story of Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 4, Mephibosheth, he's out in the courtyard playing one day. He's probably playing Foursquare or Hopscotch or whatever kids play. He's out playing in the courtyard, and then all of a sudden he gets these, the news. Hey, your dad just died in battle. Your grandpa, Saul the king, he's died in battle. And his nurse hears that, and she becomes worried, hey, they're going to come and try and, and kill the family. And so the nurse picks up Mephibosheth and starts running. And as she's running, she drops him and breaks both of his legs. And his legs actually never heal. So he is disabled for his, the rest of his entire life, physically handicapped. I want you to just think about Mephibosheth for a moment. Imagine what it would be like to be in Mephibosheth's shoes. I mean, he's born into this immense greatness and prosperity. His grandpa is king. His dad is supposed to be the next king. Man, he's born into greatness. And then in a moment, everything changes. In a moment, he finds out his dad has died. He finds out his grandpa, the king, has died. He finds out that the, the kingdom has been taken and given, a, taken from his family, given to another man. All this happens, and then on top of that, while he's escaping, he's dropped, and his legs are broken, and he's going to live his life as a disabled person. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Mephibosheth? I mean, as he grows up, he realizes, hey, you know, as a descendant of Saul, man, custom says that King David should kill me. King David should kill anybody who's a threat to his throne. He's got this fear of what happens if David finds out I'm alive. And then on top of that, he's disabled. So he can't, he can't provide for himself. The best that he can do is stand on a street corner and beg people to help him survive. Can you imagine how bitter it would be to be Mephibosheth? How angry, discouraged, frustrated. And then... He gets his summons. This is 20 years later. He gets a summons. Hey, Mephibosheth, King David wants to see you. What is going through Mephibosheth's mind? I mean, I would say, number one, he's like, if I have an opportunity, I'm going to tell him what's up. All this stuff happened to me. 
Or he's thinking, well, King David should kill me because that's what he's supposed to do. But look what, look what David does. Verse 6. David says, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth bows down before David and answers, Behold, I'm your servant. He's saying, please don't kill me. Please, David. And David says, do not fear. I will show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. See, here Mephibosheth, everything he thought he knew about David was wrong. He thought, oh, he's going to kill me. He's going to hurt me. But instead, David says, I want to show kindness to you. I want to extend love to you. In fact, there's probably many of us that struggle with viewing God a little bit like that. I mean, we carry the weight of shame. We carry disappointment. We carry guilt. And we think, you know, God, as soon as I come before God, he's just going to judge me. He's going to be mad at me. He's going to strike me down. He's going to punish me because of all these things I've done. Listen, you need to know that God is, is for you. God's desire is to show you love and to bring you hope, not to judge you, to strike you down. And here David extends this beautiful kindness to Mephibosheth. He says, I'm going to restore all of Saul's land to you. So everything that Saul owned, all of his land, all his property, Mephibosheth, I'm going to give this back to you. It's been given to me. It's been given to other people. I'm going to take it all. I'm going to give it back to you. Again, you got to remember Mephibosheth, he spent his life having to beg to survive. And now because of David's kindness, now he has incredible wealth and financial security. Land in that day was how you provided for yourself. So Mephibosheth has gone from, from being in poverty to having financial security. And not only, not only does David say, I'm going to give you the land, but David says, you're always going to eat at my table. Now, in that culture, few people actually got to eat at the king's table. The king's table was reserved for his family, maybe some close associates, some close friends of his. Never, never would a disabled or a lame person be welcomed into the king's table. But here's David saying, Mephibosheth, you will always eat at my table, saying, you are now a part of my family. You belong here. You are always welcomed at my home, in my house. Again, I want you to recognize just how remarkable this would have been. Because David, the culture was, you eliminate every potential threat to your, to your reign, to your kingdom. So he should have killed Mephibosheth. He should have been done with Mephibosheth. That was a custom. But David, again, David's a man after God's own heart. And he shows incredible kindness and love to Mephibosheth. Verse 9 says, David tells Ziba, that servant, he says, hey, I've given all of the land back to Mephibosheth, and I've invited him to eat at my table. And guess what, Ziba? You and all your kids and all your servants, you guys now are servants for Mephibosheth. You have to work the land. You farm the land, and then you bring all the profit to Mephibosheth. It is now his. Now, I love this story. It's a beautiful story. It is a story uh, of hope. And it can be a hope to us, no matter what circumstances we are facing. Man, look, look what happens when God extends kindness to us. I love that story. But that's actually not the point of the story. 
I mean, we love that story. We love that picture, but that's not the point of the story. Look back at, look back at verse 1. I want you to see this. David said, Is anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? In fact, I'd encourage you to circle that word kindness in your Bible. That word kindness is the same word used in verse 1 and verse 3 and verse 7. And it comes from the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And that word means a lot more than just kindness. It represents love and loyalty. It is a word that is used to describe God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness to his people. See, the kindness and the love that David is showing to Mephibosheth is actually rooted in faithfulness. It's it's rooted in faithfulness. In fact, I want to encourage you in your Bible, in the margin next to 2 Samuel chapter 9, right? 1 Samuel chapter 20. Because again, we already described Jonathan and David, they had this very close relationship. And even though Jonathan was supposed to be the next king, he recognized that God's hand was on David's life. And he wasn't angry about it. He wasn't jealous of David. He loved David. He said, I want to support you in that. In fact, throughout uh, the story of Jonathan and David, Jonathan would actually warn David, hey, my dad's going to try and do this to you. He's going to try and kill you. You need to get away. And so Jonathan is super loving and gracious to his friend, uh, David. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan and David, they make a a covenant. They make an agreement. They make a promise between one another. Jonathan says this. Jonathan says, listen, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to support you as a king over Israel. And I want you to show me kindness. And not only me. He says, if I die, I want you to show kindness to my family and my descendants forever. And David says, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do this. We're going to show kindness to one another. Now again, context. This promise was made 25 years prior, 30 years ago, a long time ago, before David was ever king. David, when this promise was made, David was on the run, trying to just survive, not sure if he's going to live, let alone become the future king. I mean, so much has changed between now and then. Now David's a powerful king. He's a powerful king. He's got greater things to worry about than some promise he made 30 years ago. In fact, come on, David, He's supposed to exterminate all the threats to his kingdom. That's the custom of the age. It's the custom of the day. And then on top of that, you will, Jonathan is dead. So does anybody actually know he made this promise? No one's going to know if Jonathan would break this promise because no one else is alive who was there on the day that promise was made. And on top of that, Mephibosheth, he's kind of an outcast of society. He's kind of like a cat owner. Like he's just an outcast of society. Nobody would expect David to keep that promise. Nobody would expect David to be faithful. But David is a man after God's own heart. And that doesn't mean he's perfect. We know David made plenty of mistakes. But as David abided in God and walked in the Holy Spirit, God produced the fruit of the Spirit in his life. God produced godly character. And David became faithful even in the small things. 
faithful in the little promise he made 30 years ago that nobody even knows about. Faithful in things that, that nobody would judge him and criticize him for not keeping that promise. See, the story of David and Mephibosheth is a picture of faithfulness. That David's love and his loyalty and his kindness to Mephibosheth is rooted in his faithfulness. In God creating faithfulness inside of him. In fact, that's the lesson for us this morning. Is that our love and loyalty is often displayed through our faithfulness. Faithfulness to people. Faithfulness to places. Faithfulness to circumstances that God has put us in. Now again, we live in a culture where faithfulness oftentimes feels optional, does it not? I mean, we live in a life and we're told, our culture is told, hey, it's all about you. It's all about you. If things are hard, just quit. Find something else. It's okay. Relationship, if you're not happy in your relationship, just go find another relationship that make you happy. Right? That's what our culture says. If somebody hurts you, what do you do? Just cut them out of your life. They're dead to you. You don't have to forgive them. Don't do that. Just cut them out of your life. If you have a family, a relationship that's not meeting your needs, what do you do? You find another one. Find someone else that's going to meet your needs. In fact, when life gets hard, we're often faced with kind of two roads to choose from. You've got one road that's the road everybody takes. It's the wide road. It's a road that is a little bit easier. It's a road that makes us feel a little bit better. It's a road that's a little bit more comfortable. It's a road that says, hey, when things are going bad, man, I don't have to stick through that. I'll find something that makes me happier, a little bit easier. And then there's the second road. The second road that's less taken. The second road that calls us to faithfulness even when things are hard. The second road that requires us to actually live and practice the fruit of the Spirit, where we have to learn to be loving, even when it's hard. To pursue peace, even when there isn't peace. To exhibit patience when we don't want to. To be kind, to be good, to have self-control. See, the road of faithfulness, when we choose that road of faithfulness, it is trusting that God is sovereign. And when I say that, I mean, if, if we believe that God is sovereign, that God is in control of our life, that means that God has put us in relationships with people. God has put us in circumstances like a pandemic. God has put us in places on purpose. That he has a purpose behind it. We don't always know it. But when we recognize that God is, is sovereign and in control, that means that what he's doing in my life, there's a reason to it. It might be because God wants to grow me. God wants to stretch me. He wants to teach me some things. He wants me to practice this hard idea of faithfulness. Maybe God is putting you in the, those places and the, with those people and those circumstances because he wants you to be a blessing to the people around you. I don't know what it is. But faithfulness requires us to recognize that God is in control. And perhaps God has put you in a place and in a relationship because he has a purpose behind it. And it's when we are faithful that we get to see God do the greatest work in us and through us. In fact, when I think about faithfulness, I think about Matthew 
chapter 25. See, there's going to come a day when we are face to face with God at the judgment seat. And you know what's remarkable? I don't think we're going to be judged on our success. I don't think we're going to be judged on our knowledge. I don't think we're going to be judged on all that we gave to the kingdom of God. Because this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, well done, you good and, what's the word? Faithful servant. See, I think we're going to be judged on our faithfulness to all God has asked us to do. This morning, I want to ask you just to consider in your own life. Consider how faithful you are in your life. Consider how faithful you are in your relationships. I'll tell you what, there is a tremendous power when we dive deep into relationship and remain faithful even when it gets hard. In fact, Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. How many of us have experienced a fair-weather friend? You know what a fair-weather friend is? A friend who's there when things are good. But guess when you need the friend the most? When things are difficult. When you're struggling. Maybe when you're not being a good friend yourself. You need people to walk alongside you. To say, I got you. I'm with you. That is where we, considering our relationships, we've got to pursue faithfulness to be committed to one another, to have these loyal relationships. How faithful are you with your words and with your commitments? I think our maturity or our lack of maturity is often displayed through our faithfulness or our faithlessness in what we say and what we do. In fact, Jesus said, and Luke 16, whoever is trusted is little, whoever is trusted with little will also be trusted with much. And if you cannot be trusted with little, you will not be trusted with much. See, I think we miss out on the great things of God because we're not faithful in the little things. In fact, Chuck Swindoll said this. Chuck Swindoll says, wisdom comes not from trying to do great things for God, but from being faithful in the small obscure tasks that people hardly ever see. Again, another simple verse that is so challenging on faithfulness is Matthew 5, 37. Jesus says simply, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Talking about faithfulness with our words, faithfulness with what we say. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times where I'm discouraged with my faithfulness. Times that I know I need to be faithful, I, but I've, too many times I take the easy road. Too many times I quit too early on people or ideas or circumstances. In fact, as we have studied this series on the fruit of the Spirit, man, I find myself being challenged and convicted of how much I struggle exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Anybody else there? I hope it's not just me, because I'm challenged. When I consider my life, if these are the things that people see in me. If you are there, man, I'm glad I'm not alone. This is one of the things I love about Restoration Church. See, we are a place that is looking to celebrate progress, not perfection. 
In fact, church is the only place where it's okay for us to not be okay. Am I right? The only prerequisite for us to experience the grace of God is to acknowledge that we have brokenness, that we are not good enough, that we are in need. And the whole goal with this series on the fruit of the Spirit is as we study the fruit of the Spirit together, as we are awakened to the fruit of the Spirit and whether we see them in our life, that we'd be reminded daily. Now, not not just daily, that we'd be reminded moment by moment that we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we need to abide in Christ. Because as we are awake to that thing, as we recognize our need every moment, every day, to walk in his power, that as we do that, that is when God begins to supernaturally change us. That is when God produces little by little a little bit more of the fruit in our lives. And as we continually walk in his power and walk in his Holy Spirit, that is when we become people who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. He slowly begins to change our hearts and change our life to produce those fruit. And ultimately, here's one of the best things about God. 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 13 Paul writes and says, even if we are faithless, and let me just say, let's just change the word if. Even when we are faithless, he is still faithful. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? In fact, there's something I skipped over the text I want to have us come back to. Verse 7 in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Verse 7, it says, David said, do not fear, because I will show you kindness for the sake of of your father, Jonathan. See, David is showing kindness and faithfulness not because Mephibosheth has done anything to earn it. He's not showing kindness to Mephibosheth because Mephibosheth has been faithful to him or because Mephibosheth has been kind to him. No, what he's doing is he is showing love and loyalty not because of anything that Mephibosheth has done but because of what something somebody else has done for him. See, Jonathan's the one that made the promise. Jonathan's the one that entered into that covenant with David. And what David is saying is, I'm going to show kindness to you. I'm going to be faithful to you because of what Jonathan has done for you. The story of what David did for Mephibosheth and showing him faithfulness and love and loyalty is the same story of what God does for us. See, we've spent our life distancing ourselves away from God because of our rebellion, because of our arrogance, because of our brokenness, because of our shame. Or we run and hide from God. We don't want to be around Him. We fear entering into His presence will bring judgment. Many of us have spent our life in that way afraid of approaching God because He's going to be so mad and disappointed in me. And when we finally lay ourselves at His feet... That is when God reaches out his hand and he picks us up and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm coming to give you back everything that sin has taken away. Just as David said to Mephibosheth, I'm going to give you all of Saul's land back. God says to us, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you the inheritance. 
I'm going to give you the blessings. I'm going to prepare a place in eternity for you. And more than that, God looks at us and says, listen, you are invited to my table. You are invited to be my son and my daughter where you are always welcomed to sit in my presence. And God does that not because we've done anything. God does that because of what someone else has done for us. Because Jesus went to the cross. He took our sin upon himself. He suffered and he died in our place. And he rose from the grave to free us from sin and Satan and death and hell. And God extends faithfulness to us and he gives us a beautiful promise, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And that changes everything. That changes everything. That even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Not because we're so great, but because of what Jesus has done for us. In fact, I want to close with a story to help us think about the power of faithfulness. In 1972, NASA launched the probe Pioneer 10. I don't know if any of you guys are NASA nerds like I am. I love reading about space and, and all that stuff. NASA launched the probe Pioneer 10 in 1972. It was designed to fly to Jupiter and take pictures of Jupiter. It was supposed to last three years. It was going to travel the... 465 million miles from the sun to Jupiter. And it was going to be a technological milestone. No probe or satellite had ever gone past Mars. And scientists, they're like, well, we don't know what's going to happen when this probe goes into the uh, magnetic field, or we don't know how radiation will affect this, this, this uh, probe. Uh, we don't know. It could be possibly destroyed by asteroids before it ever gets to, to Jupiter. We have no clue what's going to happen. November 1973, finally the day arrived. And Jupiter flew by, or Pioneer 10 flew by Jupiter and showed pictures of uh, Jupiter for the very first time. And when that happened, something marvelous happened. Something marvelous happened because, because as the, the Pioneer 10 was, was going around Jupiter, Jupiter's gravitational pull took that satellite and launched it back into space with tremendous speed. That satellite ended up flying for 25 years, 22 years beyond what was expected. It was only supposed to go a couple hundred million miles, but it flew past Saturn and Uranus and Neptune and Pluto, six billion billion miles further than it was supposed to. Listen, I tell you that story because I think this shows, I believe this is what our potential is. Our potential is greater than we ever could imagine. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I'd say for me, I want my life to matter. I don't know if I can change the world, but you know what I, I do hope? I do hope that through the power of God, I can make a difference in my family in my church, in my school, in my community. And I think as we strive to remain faithful to the people that God has put us in relationship with, as we strive to remain faithful to the circumstances God has put us in, 
as we strive to display love and loyalty through our faithfulness. And I think God uses that to impact everybody around us. We not be, might be able to change the world on our own, but I'm going to guess as a church, we can make a difference in our families through our faithfulness. As a church, my guess is we can make a difference in our schools through our faithfulness. We can make a difference in each other's lives through our faithfulness. And I think we can make a greater impact than we could ever imagine. Would you pray with me?